are listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Hope, who was a respite foster carer and went on to adopt the child that she was fostering. Hi Hope, how are you? Hi, yes, I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, Excellent, thank you for joining us. It sounds like your story was really interesting. I'm just wondering how you got into respite foster caring. Uh, well, I started out as a foster carer, part-time, long-term and short-term fostering, and then kind of moved into offering respite for other foster carers. And so there was a foster carer who had three children and um, full-time, all under five, so very busy and uh, needed a a regular break so myself and my now ex-partner took on these three children and they used to come and stay with us once a month. And how how was that were they the first ones that you'd done respite foster care for so that in and out you know where they're with you and then they're not? No actually I originally started out as a respite foster carer that's that's how it first began about uh, 18 years ago so I, I had a birth daughter who's now 32 But when she was about 10 or 11, I decided to offer respite care for children, mainly children with disabilities. And uh, there were one or two who used to come regularly, come once a month. And you've got really to deepen your relationship with them over several years. Or or there was just sort of emergency placements or, you know, a real mixture. So, So that's how I originally started as a foster carer. And that led on to longer term placements. Um, and that led on to meeting Rose and her two brothers. And how was it back then being a foster carer? Because you're going back quite a few years now, aren't you? I know that my partner and I adopted our child just eight years ago. And even by comparing eight years ago to now, things have really changed. Yeah, I think attitudes have really changed. Yes, I think what happened was I'd first applied to a um, to a local authority and they they made it quite clear that they weren't going to consider me. So as a result of that, I did then reapply to an agency, a private agency who were open to having same-sex carers and got assessed and approved through them. Yeah, there were agencies that were still saying, no, we're not doing that at that time. Yeah. Yeah, times have really changed in quite a short period of time, I think. Yes. Um, so so you were saying that you were offering um, this respite care. So what happened then? Well, so um, I met my partner and we decided to get approved together as foster carers, which is what we did for several years. And we had several children who stayed, one who came for the weekend and stayed for three years, as I'm sure other people have experienced, and <laughs> several other young people who came for short-term placements which gradually became longer term and then as time passed uh, we made a decision to move from we were living down in Bedfordshire and decided to move up to Derbyshire and at that time we brought one of the young people that was um, living with us with us who's now gone on to a specialist residential college in, in Sheffield and and then it was at that time that we started offering respite to um, Rose and her two brothers. My my ex-partner was and I were exploring the possibility of uh, having a birth child. I say I had my own birth child. 
but she she was wanting to do that. That was unsuccessful. And at the same time as that process and going through all that, Rose and her younger brother were being, uh, the plan for them was for them to be adopted. And so it just, I mean, we'd fallen in love with her. We'd fallen in love with her. Well, both of them, but the decision was made to place them separately, which I know is quite unusual. But I think it was the right decision. It was about meeting both their needs because they both had quite the need. They both had the need for two parents, really. Did you feel like that was the right decision at the time or is it more with hindsight that you can see it was? I had, it was very difficult because, because my gut feeling is wherever possible, the right thing is to keep siblings together. But I guess, so I did, have, I did struggle with it at the time. In hindsight, I think it was the right decision. Yeah. And so once you knew that the plan for for that child was adoption, yes. did you sort of know straight away that you wanted to put yourself forward? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It it just it was it was a bit of a kind of light bulb moment, you know. So there's there's us going through this process and without success for all sorts of reasons. And then, you know, thinking, well, look, you know, here's Here's this child. We know this child. We love this child. Wouldn't it make sense to adopt her? You know, yeah. So we did. (laughs) How was the um, process? What did you have to go through to move from being the foster carers to being the adopters? Well, actually, it was was quite lengthy still, which I think is right, because adoption is a very, very different setup to a very different setup to fostering. And... So it was it, the whole process of being assessed because we oh, we we did fostering to adoption. So so rather than her staying with us just for weekends as she had been, once the plan had been agreed that we that we might be considered as adopted parents, we then fostered her. So she lived with us for a year before the adoption actually went ahead. So we we actually fostered her full time for a year. So it gradually sort of morphed from one thing to another thing to another thing again. Yeah, which I think was quite good for her because it was it was gradual. It was a gradual progression. I think it was good for all of us, actually. I think it was good for all of us. Yeah, it sounds like it was a very natural progression for all of you rather than a really sudden change. So, yeah, I can see that that, that would work really well. And so once the adoption was agreed and that all went through, did things feel different or did they change in any way? I don't think it felt really different until probably after the celebration hearing. Because even though we'd had, we got the certificate in our hand, I think the celebration hearing and bringing friends and family along to that, that kind of really felt the final cherry on the top of the icing on the cake, you know. That's really nice. Was it a nice day? It was lovely. It was really, really lovely, yes. Did you get a nice judge? Really nice judge. Yeah, very oh, that's friendly. Really nice. <laughs> very friendly, very warm. Yeah, really great. Lots of lovely did you photos. Have photos sitting in the judge's chair and stuff. Yes. And wearing, yeah, we did wearing well. his wig. Everything. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was oh, really brilliant. Good. It was really good. Yeah, ours oh, yeah. was really nice as well. I I don't know what I expected really, and 
I don't know, I'd found the process a bit long and grueling and I was a bit ready for it to be done. So it was like, oh, let's just get through this and, and it'll be done. And actually it was really warm and lovely when we got there and everybody right. was really nice to us. And, you know, the judge was saying they do a lot of horrible stuff. And so to yes. do something really nice is such a, a happy day for them, really. Yeah, and yeah, I think the, our judge said the same thing. It's so nice to be doing... So imagine they're dealing with quite a lot of grim things in their job. And yes, so I think it was a, a real breath of fresh air for them. Yeah, it was lovely. That's really nice. And did Rose feel very clearly positive about that? Or were there some ambivalent feelings? Because as well as a beginning, it's obviously an ending as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think there were some ambivalent feelings because she was very clear she only wanted one. She Because we asked her who she'd like to invite and she wanted to invite one friend from school who she felt comfortable with and she didn't really want a big fuss about it at school she didn't want it to be sort of show and tell or you know anything like that she was very happy that this friend of hers came it was really nice to have to have him there yeah but I'm sure there were mixed feelings I don't know that she actually articulated them but I think in just wanting one friend and not wanting a fuss at school that was probably kind of communicating that really yeah and sometimes kids just don't want to be the different ones do they so they just yeah. don't want a light shining on the thing that makes them different yes yeah definitely. and so how old was she when that happened so five so fostered her for a year before the adoption finally went through when she was just five yeah okay how long ago was that 11 uh, six years she's 12 that's right isn't it no, it's not. Yeah, more or less, yeah. <laughs> Math is not my strong point. <laughs> it's near enough, Carol Vorderman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's seven years. So, so you um, adopted her and I guess family life was continuing and then life threw you a bit of a curveball, didn't it? It really, really did, yes. And uh, uh, yes, so there's a lot of talk when, when children are adopted about forever families. And I, I, I do have a little bit of a discomfort about that, really, because you don't ever know what kind of curveball life's going to chuck you. And, yeah, my myself and my partner separated. And it was very sudden, very unexpected, uh, very unexpected. And, yeah, a real shock. And and sadly, and as in addition to separating, which was pretty challenging, also communication was uh, broke down basically um, and to the point where when it came to the arrangements for Rose we we found ourselves back in court which was awful for all of us really but that's how it was yeah that must have been so hard for you to go from what must have felt like a very clear step into family life together as a unit and that legal recognition of that and all of that to being back in court but I guess on opposite sides of the room and yeah for such a different reason yeah yeah but yeah really not not what anyone would imagine <laughs> you know no, absolutely not and I know what you mean about that forever family promise because none of us can promise that and you know it it, it is a little bit, a bit of a hard one, really, I think, when when you promise it and then it doesn't work out. And what, what can you do? Sometimes life does that. Yes. Yeah. Or people, you know, sadly, people get ill, people die, you know. Yeah. These things happen. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's 
it's very difficult. But I, I have heard someone use the expression uh, "growing up family," I think, which I quite liked. Oh, that's nice. You know, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, my growing up family. I, I thought that was good. And I think um, one of the things that, that's thrown up, and now sort of recently, I had a conversation with Rose about because I actually had COVID and I am better and I was only ill for about a week. This was last March. But Rose had to look after me because we were in lockdown. And right. consequently, we had a conversation about what might happen if I wasn't around. And, you know, so it was a good opportunity to have that conversation with her. My older daughter has committed to come and be here if that was to happen. And there are lots of friends and family who would support her in uh, parenting Rose. So it, it led to, it did lead to that conversation, which we might not otherwise have had. And I know she's young, but actually I think having that conversation did put her mind at rest, kind of knowing what might happen. Yeah, I can, I can sort of relate to that because it's a different manifestation of it here. But at the moment, my um, adopted son is he's really worried about this cat that lives on our street and he's convinced himself this cat needs a new family. Now this cat is clearly well-fed, really very clearly well-fed. And mm. you know, it, it is not a stray cat, but he is worried about this cat. And we discuss lots of the time who's looking after this cat. Maybe this cat needs a new family. Maybe we should take in this cat. We already have cats, you know, maybe we should take it in. Maybe we should offer to buy it. And I think it's a manifestation of anxiety about what ifs and yes. what when something doesn't have a home, what when something needs a new family. So we are sort of talking about this. I am resisting actually stealing this cat. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that anxiety is sort of manifesting in just a different way. Same anxiety, really. Yes. Yeah. I bet next time we chat, I've got another blooming cat. <laughs> I'll have had to buy it off my neighbour at some extortionate rate. <laughs> so, so how did you, I guess, how did you begin a process of healing from such a massive bump in the road, you and also your daughter? Well, I think, I think the main thing was very close friends who just were very present really because I think probably for about 12 months I was probably just in shock and and then I mean I, I have to say that the coming to summer camp that was very healing because I could the, the new family social summer camp because I could just come I could just be whoever I was and just chat with people and just be around and I actually met someone who'd had a, a breakup as well and that was very helpful talking it through with someone who had a, a similar situation. So I guess the support networks that other families, close friends, and uh, a choir that I was singing in, that was brilliant. That that really kept my, my spirits lifted. So I, I sung with them. It's interesting what you say about talking to somebody else at summer camp, because I spoke to one of the members of New Family Social and she had split from her partner after adopting. and she'd been volunteering for New Family Social and she sort of approached me and said, look, I understand if you don't want me to volunteer anymore. And I was saying, well, why? Why wouldn't I want you to? And she said, well, it's not really the image we're supposed to put across, is it? You know, that it's all gone wrong. <laughs> and I was saying, no, that you're so yeah. far off. that You know, the, the yeah. image, if you like, is is about how it really is. And 
it's still a success. It's still a success if you're parenting the best you can. And, you know, it's not a failure to have split. But I think sometimes, I think particularly as LGBT people, we fought hard to be allowed to form relationships. We fought hard to be allowed civil partnerships and marriages. We fought hard to be allowed to adopt children. And I guess then when it goes wrong, you sort of, I guess there's a bit of an element for us all of, oh, God, I've let the team down, you know? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there is. And I think, yes, uh, the sort of the LGBT plus community, yes. But B, that kind of just that adoption team as well, just Mm -hmm. that, you know, that you've chosen this, you've, you know, you've made this choice, you've made this life path, you've taken on a child who inevitably is going to have early trauma. And then you're re-traumatising them all over again. You know, I did did have that feeling and just, but you you just have to take a deep breath, as you say, and just do the best that you can do and just pick up the pieces. And as we go through, I'm still picking up the pieces, you know. We got some really, really good support about a year and a half after the split when I was sort of coming up for air really and starting to think, right, what, what can I do to, to help Rose and myself to continue to heal from this? And we applied for adoption support fund. Mm. And that was really brilliant because I got a lump of money that I could then make a decision about, you know, what would be the best way to spend it. And I've had it every year since. So the first year we got a therapist who worked predominantly with Rose but who was kind of on call for me. So we used to have a a weekly phone call to chat through any issues that were going on regarding Rose and my parenting skills and those kind of things. And then also a weekly chat at the beginning just for me to kind of go blur, (laughs) which I was really nice. So that was fantastic. So I had that for a year and, and we still have that that therapist is still part of our lives but less so at the moment it's fortnightly visit to usually go out for a walk because that's what we can do at the moment Um, that's really good because you must have entered this thinking yes I had you know I'm doing it with another adult as a partner and if you enter it knowing that you're single that's one thing but if you enter it thinking we're a team we're going to do this together and then suddenly you're on your own did it ever did it ever feel like the placement was in doubt to you or like you might not cope? I think there was a point where um, Rose's behaviour was so challenging, and which was as a result of all this uncertainty. Uh, there was a point where it was so challenging where that's where I... But that actually, that got me reaching out. That was the point where I thought, right, something has got to change because if something doesn't change, I cannot manage this you know I can't I can't do it and I think my phone call initially was to the local social services to say you know this is my situation without some support I'm not going to be able to manage this and it was them that helped me to apply for the adoption support fund so yeah yeah there was a point where I thought I can't maintain this and I'm an older an older adopter as well you know I'm 57 so I'm not a spring chicken (laughs) <laughs> you are 50 is the new 40 <laughs> oh thanks for that yeah that's yeah. all right <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm lacking energy I have impatience you know I am very patient but, pragmatism um, as well don't you find as you get older you're like oh I don't care it's fine yes. it'll be fine <laughs> actually how important is that yeah really uh, yeah you don't sweat the small stuff that 
spoon. No, absolutely not. And all the agonising you do when you're younger about, but what will people think? And then yes. I think you pass fortune. You're like, well, they'll think what they think when they care. Absolutely. <laughs> I love this uh, saying: "What other people think of me is none of my business." <laughs> that is a really <laughs> nice saying. <laughs> yeah, we should all get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, that's one of the things you mentioned summer camp, but that's one of the things that I love about summer camp that when we drive through those gates, it feels like a haven of people who get it. You know, yes. who know that. I know. I mean, I, yes, it was lovely because the first time I went and Rose had one of her, you know, moments of interest. And <laughs> there, this is how I met a, a lovely couple who've actually got five children. And that's how I met them because Rose was having a moment of interest. And one of them came over and just said, we're sitting over here. If you if you want to come and join us, if you want a breather oh. or if, or if there's any, anything we can do, just uh, let us know. But we're over there. And uh, and that was just that meant the world, you know, just somebody not judging you, not criticizing you, not telling you what to do, not telling you what an awful parent you are. Yeah. Yeah. But just coming and saying we're here and do feel free to come and join us if you want to. And we're, we're good friends. Good friends. <sighs> Yeah, I know the family you mean, and I've yeah. seen them with one child under one arm while putting up a tent. <laughs> I look at them and think, how are you doing this? <laughs> they are incredible. Yeah, really, really nice. But I know what you mean. And also people who can look at your child as they're struggling and see that actually they are struggling. They are they are hurt. They're not they're not being awful, they're not bad children. Yeah. They're just finding something really hard. And mm. I think that compassion, because sometimes if it happens somewhere else, you want to say to people, it's not their fault. This is, you know, other people did this to them. Their life did this to them. And they're yeah. just having a moment where they're not coping. And I, I like that at summer camp as well, because when we look at a child exhibiting what anywhere else would be called bad behaviour, we can all look at that and say, actually, that's a child who's in a lot of pain at the moment. And yeah. probably the parent is doing everything they can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always the bar at camp, isn't there, as well? So that helps oh, yeah. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely that they've got free reign as well you know um free range kids it's great yes, I, because they don't... I love that as well yeah, yeah because yeah, it's the it? and there's that's right all the adults look out for everybody yeah it's lovely I've really missed it this year and, and I really miss it as well. yeah. yeah I know I'm, I'm looking at the calendar and looking at things like you know the big festivals being cancelled and thinking how late do we leave it to make the call you know yeah so yeah fingers crossed let's hope we can get together this year because yeah and let's hope for some sunshine which is a rare event at camp well <laughs> yeah the rain makes yeah. people huddle together and have nice well time. that's true you're such an optimist <laughs> <laughs> i've been called an irritating optimist actually <laughs> i can't believe it <laughs> uh, so so after you started to sort of glue yourselves back together after the split and things formed how have things been since then well I think since Rose has been having some therapeutic input and since school a kind school have been very good she's she's had the transition from junior school to high school this year which was in in with the with COVID you know obviously it's been quite challenging she, uh, she's also she's had some assessments and some of her through an educational psychologist and a clinical psychologist and all those assessments have helped in terms of getting extra support for her at school so though she hasn't got and I always get this wrong way around I think it's an ECHP or EHCP never mind yeah that one yeah (laughs) that one 
she hasn't got that and I've kind of resisted that because I feel that that can be quite prescriptive and but she has got some identified you know difficulties that school are aware of and so she's got a named key worker and she's got quite a lot of TA support so that transition to high school which was you know really big big transition she was very very well supported at her primary school and I was thinking oh this could be this could be awful you know this could be brilliant but it's turned out that it's been actually very good considering the situation we all find ourselves in yeah because I mean that that class you know that that age group had a really difficult transition didn't they because yes. none of the gentle approach to secondary school just there you go there's secondary school in your yep. cop yeah and I think that was really hard for them even for kids without challenging backgrounds and then when you overlay that yes even more difficult so yeah it it sounds like she has lots of support and things what's she like as a person what you're dead proud of or what's she good at or what's she passionate about she's a wonderful dancer we, we've had various different dance classes but she's just she's done it for a term or whatever and just said no I don't, I don't really want to dance like that she's done tap she's done bim dance <laughs> she's done contemporary you know she's tried lots but she's very much her own dancer so she moves beautifully which is great because when I first met her she kind of when she ran she used to sort of run almost on a diagonal <laughs> I can't quite explain it but so she's she's yeah, she's a beautiful mover. She's very feisty. I like that about her. She won't <laughs> tolerate any nonsense from anybody. And she's got a really good sense of humour, a good sense of fun. She likes to wind me up. And <laughs> now she's a pre-teen, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know yeah. it well. <laughs> yeah. Put it, doing sort of playing pranks on me and doing things like that, which I try and always laugh. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> You laugh through the tears. Yeah. She's a very loyal friend as well. And I mean, she struggles with, she really struggles with friendship because she's functioning emotionally at a much younger age than her peers. But she is a very loyal friend. She's got a very strong sense of right and wrong. Yeah. That's really lovely. It sounds like it's, although it was bumpy, it really does sound like you arrived in a very solid place. Yes. Did she ever see her sibling that she was placed with you with all those years back? Sadly, she doesn't see both. She The, the older one went back to his dad because they were three half-siblings. Mm. So the oldest one went back to his dad and, and doesn't engage even with letterbox contact. It's a real shame, oh. but we continue to, to do letterbox contact every year. And then the younger one, she does have direct contact with twice a year but she didn't in December because of the lockdown but yeah yes we're, we're doing the same at the moment we're not having the direct contact with siblings that we normally would and yeah I think it's beginning to feel like quite a long time really yes it does because if you're only seeing someone twice a year and you miss one you know that yeah. makes a really big difference yeah it really does mm. so given that you've been a foster carer a respite foster carer and an adopter. Yeah. I just wonder, I know, um, what would your advice be for people who are right at the beginning of that journey and thinking, should we foster? Should we adopt? How should we do it? What are the pros and cons? You know, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the most important thing is to talk to other people who've done it and, and lots of them because everybody's experience is going to be completely different. 
So I, I would say really talking to people, yeah, connecting up with other people, connecting up with other adopters. I'm, I'm actually a panel member now for adoption. I just recently started doing this. And that's the one thing I, I do ask, one question that I ask if it's not already been asked for any prospective adopters is, you know, what, what contacts have you got with other adopters? What links? Because you need that, because like you say, you need people who get it. And I mean, particularly in our case, LGBT plus adopters, because then they get that dynamic as well. So, yeah, it's, it's having a support network. And yeah, I agree with that. I think it's yeah. so important. And just because professional support is one thing and it's hugely important, but you have to reach a level of problem before you seek it. Yes. And also, you I don't know, you engage with it really differently, don't you? And I think sometimes when it's a friend who just gets it, you can just say, you know, I think I'm failing at this or I think I'm doing this really badly or I just can't see a way forward and they can glue your bits back on a lot more easily and I think it's it's those people who really understand I mean during lockdown you know with the homeschooling and stuff a couple of times people said um to me and my partner well you know just just sit next to you with a workbook and I'm thinking yeah it, it's not really quite as straightforward as that for us <laughs> yeah. and for people who I don't have to explain that to because then I chat to people in new family social I'm like and then they said sitting next to you with a workbook and they're like what so yeah, people just kind yeah. of get it without me having to explain why that's hard for him yes yeah yeah definitely I just thought of something as you were talking but it's just gone flying right out of my brain <laughs> just remind me what you were talking about again you're talking about it I'm saying about uh about during lockdown and oh yeah people yeah, get it and, yeah yeah so yeah so Rose has um, found uh, certain expletives <laughs> as a preteen and and that and that was happening quite a lot and it was very much directed at me mm. not directed not coming out at school at all which is obviously wonderful um but <laughs> really hard very very triggering for me because I come from a family you know I have I'm not saying I've never said swear words because I, I have occasionally but I'm not a swearer you know if something heavy drops on my toe a word might come out or when <laughs> I shut my finger in the car door you know which has happened and I did say something but generally I'm not someone who uses that kind of language and my family my birth family you know don't use that kind of language and I was so shocked mm. And I had to find a strategy. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because it was actually just a friend of mine who's not an adopter, who's not part of the LGBT plus community either. But uh, she just said to me, you know, try and think of a funny picture that goes with that word. Try and imagine some kind of funny picture that goes with it so that when Rose shouts that at you, you think of this funny picture. She said, that's what I used to do with my kids if they swore at me. And then I, then it didn't bother me or they didn't think it bothered me. And then they, they were less interested in doing it because they weren't yes. getting the reaction. And that was, it was just things like that sometimes, just a little gem, you know, that you get from a friend. Yeah, I think you're right. Just something so simple and so easy to do. Yeah, yeah. So you've literally, you've been at this from all angles, haven't you? You know, as um, foster carer, respite foster carer, adopter. Yeah. Is it something you'd recommend? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not without its challenges. And I think it's really important to be honest about that. You know, it, there are times where it's really, really challenging, but there are so many times where it is so fulfilling and so rewarding. And when you feel like there's a child has made a shift, something happens and you think, oh, wow. Oh, that wouldn't, they couldn't have done that this time last year. Or, you know, they wouldn't have risked that this time last year or whatever it is. You see these little developments these growth and that's just amazing that is just amazing yeah that's lovely I agree with you completely (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank my guest today Hope if you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends follow us on twitter at lgbt adopt foster and on facebook search new family social or one word visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.